Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Go ahead and grab your Bible. For the last time, we are switching over to the book of Colossians chapter 4. We started this journey in Colossians, uh, believe it or not, on January 5th of this year. Uh, and on that day, I preached a sermon um, introducing expository preaching uh, to the church and introducing uh, the book of Colossians. I explained that uh, expository preaching is the kind of preaching that Christians should crave because it removes the focus from man-made words and, and high and lofty psych psychological opinions and trendy, fatty um, kind of, of preaching and turns the focus to the timeless words of the Lord. In other words, you shouldn't care what I have to say. You should care what God has to say. And with expository preaching, that is the main thrust. That's the focus. The emphasis is all on Scripture, going verse by verse by verse through a book in the Bible to draw out the divinely intended meaning of the Scriptures. Now, if you can believe it or not, um, including today, we have had and done and preached and listened to uh, 21 sermons in the book of Colossians over the course of six months. And today we are at our completion. Now, as we reflect back and on our time in Colossians, I want to take a moment to commend you in, in the highest way. And maybe you're asking why. I said in the introductory sermon that there would be people who will reject this kind of teaching because there has always been um, a, a refusal um, and, and an offense uh, towards the word of God. There, People have always, since the Garden of Eden, have always been resistant to the word of the Lord. But I said for those of us who would accept it and who would, who would pay attention and who would be drawn into it, that we would increase in the knowledge of God. And I hope that you um, would agree with me this morning that that has happened, that that has proven true, that over the course of our time in Colossians, that you have grown in your knowledge of the work and the worth of of Christ, thus increasing your worship to God and deepening your love for God. We will, by the grace of God, continue in this direction. This will be what marks this church's expository preaching. Now, we will be taking a short break, just so you know what's to come, what's next. Uh, we'll be taking a short break from going through a book, um, to do just a few topical sermons before we dive into our next book study. But as for today, though, we will turn our focus 
to finishing our beloved book of Colossians. I've entitled today's sermon, A Call to Faithfulness. It is Colossians 4, verses 14 through 18, A Call to Faithfulness. The past two weeks, we have examined the lives of of each name mentioned in these final greetings um, up to now, uh, all the verses that we've had up to now. And we have sought to learn lessons from the names that Paul is mentioning. Now today, we're going to do a little bit of that um, at the beginning, but then we're going to move to consider a few key elements that we should walk away from this passage in particular with, but also uh, kind of walk away with from the book of Colossians. So it'll be a bit of a summary, if you will. So grab your Bible. We're going to go ahead and read Colossians chapter 4. Again, verses 14 through 18. This is the word of God. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings uh, to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this hour, Lord in the midst of just absolute um, craziness in our world today, Lord. But Lord, we want to take a moment, um, at least a moment of this time, to just focus on you, Lord. So Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, God, that you would give us the illumination of your Word to help us to see great and beautiful things from your Word that we have not known, Lord. I pray that we would be edified. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be rebuked if necessary, but most importantly, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A call to faithfulness. So I told you we will look a little bit at the lives of these men, um, but that's not going to be our focus today, so it's going to be a little bit different. What I want to draw your attention to first It's to this man named Demas. He's briefly mentioned here. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And that's all we know of Demas. Now, Luke, you know Luke. It is widely believed and accepted that this Luke that Paul is mentioning is the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's the same Luke who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a beloved physician, as he says here. He followed Paul basically everywhere and was right there through a lot of his imprisonment. He recorded so many details through the book of Acts of of what was going on in the early church. So the book of Luke was very, very beneficial, uh, or, or the work that Luke did for the gospel ministry was incredibly beneficial. We just got done reading through the book of Luke this week in the Store Up the Word Bible reading plan. So you know it's a very thorough book. 
That's one of the first things that my wife and I talked about whenever we started reading it, was that Luke was very thorough. He looked at a lot more detail, if you will. He kind of filled in some, some detail on the portrait of what was going on in the life of Jesus and then in the book of Acts. So Luke, we're, we're pretty familiar with. Um, he was a physician. By all accounts, he was a Gentile. So he actually was not a Jew. And we can kind of uh, gather that information from, from last week. He, he said that the, the men that he had just mentioned were the only men of the circumcision. So they were the only Jewish Christians that Paul had by his side. But we move now to this man named Demas. And we have no information of him from this book. He doesn't say anything about Demas, just that Demas greets them, um, just along with uh, Luke. What we have to do is go to other passages in Scripture to find where Demas is mentioned and to fill in some of the, the understanding of, of this man's life. Now, we have learned much about faithfulness from these men that we've spoken of, even, even Luke, very faithful uh, minister in Christ, but there is always a sad story to be told and to be heard of a man who fell away in love with this present age. Indeed, this is exactly what Paul says of Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, in love with this present world, has left me, he's deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. What, what a tragic story this is. In love with this present world. Beloved, this is what happens when you hold your gaze on the glistening of the world's offerings. Rest assured, it is fool's gold. It will not last. It has no value your flesh will deceive you. Your own desires will convince you that turning your eyes from Christ for just a moment is okay. He's sure to be there when you'd return. How often those moments of distraction turn to long-lasting destruction. Even for the noblest of men who find themselves in the ministry, here Demas is grouped in with all of these faithful men of ministry, with the Apostle Paul doing incredible work for the gospel in the early church, instrumental in getting the gospel to the Gentiles and the Jews, not just the Jews, but the whole world. He was there, hand in hand, serving shoulder to shoulder, and he fell away. Let us see that none of us are exempt. None of us are exempt from, from temptation. Not even ministers, not even myself. Time after time we hear of a preacher or a minister or a big Christian celebrity who fell away from the faith in love with this present world. Our grip on our Lord is so frail. It is so weak. It is so inadequate. 
We must be vigilant in our fight against the own, our own sinfulness, the worldliness that we find within our own flesh, and against every manner of wickedness that we find that still resides within us yet. Think it not just an innocent little stare at that woman who's passing you by or that man who's passing you by that you work with or you see in the market. Think it not an innocent moment of a lapse in judgment. Think it not but a brief flare-up of your temper. Sin is sin, no matter how innocent we desire to declare it. As a lion cub is adorable and precious in its youth, give it time, and it will soon be a ferocious foe. As a single weed in the yard is but an annoyance and an eyesore, give it time, and it will soon choke out your lawn. So, so is sin that resides in our bodies. So is sin that goes unchecked and unnoticed and, and undealt with. Give it time, and it will destroy. Beloved, let us not think ourselves too Christian, too holy, too old to be fall prey to the temptations of this world, to fall prey to our own fleshliness, to our own worldliness. Let us not think that we are exempt from falling prey to the deceitfulness of sin. We must fight it, but most importantly, we must have faith in the God who has called us unto himself, because it is his grip on you that will keep you. Let us learn this lesson from Demas, but not just him. We see this mention of, of the church at Laodicea. He says it here, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodicea and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. We have no idea what's going on in Laodicea here. We do know that he's, he's mentioning them because Laodicea was a close, um, they were very, very close in distance to Colossae. There was, it was in the Lycus Valley. You might remember this from our introduction. But in the Lycus Valley of that area, there was Colossae and there was Hierapolis and there was uh, Laodicea. They were all very close to one another. And apparently we had a church there in Laodicea. And Paul doesn't really say anything except for tell them I said hi. I sent them a letter. You read their letter. Let them read your letter. Obviously the contents of these letters were different. Now, we don't know what this letter was. We don't have this letter that Paul wrote to the Laodiceans. So we, we really don't know what he is speaking of there. Or, or rather what that letter speaks of. But we do know that Christ wrote to them. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. This is Christ speaking. Revelation chapter 3. He is speaking to the church at Laodicea. It's Revelation chapter 3 verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He goes on to commend the, to, to tell them to repent and return to him. You know, let us learn from this, from these people, this church in Laodicea, how easy it is to grow indifferent. How easy it is to let the fire within us dim. Much like Demas would go on to find out, this often comes from an intermingling with the world. The church begins to turn her eyes to the things of the world. The church becomes comfortable with allowing sin within its walls, without calling it out, without putting it in check, without saying, we don't do that here, we are Christians. Soon, the pulpit becomes a place to merely encourage and entertain people. Ministry turns into social gatherings. Our hearts grow dull towards the glory and the splendor of God. The liturgy turns to lethargy. And instead of standing in awe of Christ, we yawn. I imagine we'd be shocked by the number of churches that have fallen asleep today and as such have grown lukewarm. I imagine we would be shocked to see how many people within our own walls have fallen asleep and grown lukewarm. Surely an untold number of churches are on the verge of being spit out of the mouth of Christ. Oh, that we would heed the words of Paul to Archippus. He tells Archippus, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You see, all churches, all people, all Christians receive something from the Lord. We receive new life. We receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit with which to read his scriptures with. We receive a new desire to get on our knees and pray. We receive a desire to fight the sin we once loved. But the more and more we allow our hearts to grow dull, the less and less our fire burns within us. Beloved, is that you this morning? Have you grown lukewarm? Are you like the Demas who has is falling away in love with this present age, I want to implore you to heed the words of Paul to Archippus. He writes to him to fulfill the ministry he has received in the Lord. Paul had a heavy emphasis on faithfulness. He calls Tychicus a faithful minister in verse 7 of, of this chapter. And Onesimus, a faithful brother, in verse 9. In fact, he even opens the letter to Colossians as being addressed to the faithful brothers at Colossae. He calls Epaphras a faithful minister in verse uh, 7 of chapter 1. He clearly had issues with John Mark. We learned about that last week. 
who wasn't faithful as he abandoned the brothers on a missionary trip. Now his directions to Archippus are essentially that he be faithful to complete what it is that God has given him. Why is there such a heavy emphasis here on being faithful in the ministry? Not just faithful in the ministry. We can certainly expand the scope to include all Christians. Because in ministry, a minister is only to exemplify what it is that is expected of other Christians. So surely, surely, Paul is not telling Archippus to be faithful and to complete what God has given him. And he doesn't mean that for other Christians. Surely, the Lord expects faithfulness of us all. Surely, the Lord expects us all to complete what it is that he's given to us. I love so many of these old dead men of God. Preachers and theologians. You have your Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.C. Sproul. These guys were just titans of the faith. And then even today, the ones who are still alive, you're the ones who have a long time in the ministry, John MacArthur, John Piper. I love to read their works and what their life was like. And I love to hear them speak of the Lord. There's something so attractive about their ministries and about how they speak of God. But what is most appealing about all these men, though, is, is not their incredible works uh, of books. It's not their expansive library that they've written. For Martin Lloyd-Jones, it's not that he wrote an incredible commentary on, on the book of Romans. For Charles Spurgeon, it's not that he's the prince of preachers. No, what it is is that these men were faithful all the way till the end. If there is anything that I could mimic from these men, it is faithfulness to God. To be faithful, to, to finish the race, to finish the ministry given to me in the Lord. That when I get to the end of my life, I can know that the message that's waiting for me on the other side of glory is well done. My good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Is this your desire? Do you desire to be faithful to God? Faithful to whatever it is he has called you to do. Faithful to faithfulness. Faithful to our God. Faithfulness is rooted in the understanding that the ministry we have is not built by our own hands. It is received from the Lord. It comes from God. 1 Corinthians 4.2 actually says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Not successful. Faithful. How different the priorities of God and of Paul were and are than ours. It's most important to achieve and strive for faithfulness. Faithfulness has nothing to do with, with great numbers. It has nothing to do with impeccable oratory skills that can draw the masses into a church building. 
It has nothing to do with being able to say, amen, hallelujah. We had 20 people raise their hands today to say they don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. Faithfulness doesn't have anything to do with these things. It has everything to do with the condition of the heart. See, it doesn't take years of schooling or the best seminary or money in the bank or skill or ability or even great knowledge to be faithful. It just takes desire. Desire to be faithful. Desire to complete what God has given. Notice then how Paul spoke of Epaphras in last week's session. He spoke of how often he prayed for the Colossians, that he was, he was always toiling and, 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 and laboring in prayer for the Colossians. How hard he worked. He said that I can bear him witness. He works hard on your behalf. In the opening chapter, he spoke of their love in the Spirit. These are the marks of faithfulness. This is a faithful brother and minister in the Lord. You won't find these kinds of marks in the kind of men who just decide to be in ministry one day because it seems like a great career path or because they like to be on stage or they want to be in control. You will not find these characteristics marking their life. Why? Because the ministry is received from the Lord for his purposes. It's God's work done God's way. For God's glory. This is why the call to faithfulness is so important. Because it is God's work. It is His gifting. It is God's enabling. We need only be found faithful. But how do we know we can remain faithful and not go the way of a Demas or of the Laodiceans? If it be true that sinfulness and, and our wickedness is so deceitful and temptation can be so powerful and, and the world's pull can sometimes be overwhelming. How can we know that we're not going to end up like that? Well, number one, I would tell you, Scripture says to examine yourselves, to test yourselves, to see if you're in the Spirit. It says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But also, let's look at this last statement that Paul makes. The very last words that he leaves the Colossians with. He says, grace be with you. Grace be with you. This is a, a common way to end a letter for Paul. In fact, every letter that he wrote says something about grace to you. Grace be with you. It wasn't just a nice way to end a letter. It wasn't just a salutation. It wasn't just an email signature. It wasn't just an affectionate statement. He meant it. Grace be with you. Why? Well, just think of all that Paul has written in this letter. Think of all that Paul has, the, the imperatives that Paul has laid out for the Colossians to be obedient to. Think of the indicatives that, that Paul has taught them. All of the doctrine, the theology, the deep things of God that, that Paul has taught them. They would undoubtedly need grace to understand and grace to grasp and grace to then live this out. 
They would need grace to be able to put to work all that has been written to them. They will need God's grace to continue to live in this sinful world while putting to death the sinfulness that resides within them. They'll need God's grace to empower them to seek the things above, not the things of the earth, to set their mind on heavenly things up there where Christ is seated. They will need empowering grace to walk in the Lord, firmly rooted and established and built up in Him. They will need grace to not go the way of Demas or the church at Laodicea. Indeed, brothers and sisters, we all need grace in this way. And for these reasons. 1 Peter 5.10 reads, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It is God's grace from start to finish. Brothers and sisters, where would we be without God's grace? God's common grace is what woke us up today. God's common grace is what allowed us to maybe have a cup of coffee and enjoy it or a cup of tea or a cup of water or, or to go out and sit on the patio and enjoy the morning, enjoy the, the cool morning air while the birds are singing and the sun is rising above. Common grace is what empowered your senses to experience the wonder of God's creation without asking for it, without even thinking about it. You just naturally do it. God's common grace is what put food in your fridge, what has put uh, money in the bank to pay bills with, what has put the roof above your head. God's common grace. God's sovereign grace has chosen us for salvation. God's sovereign grace has chosen us before the foundations of the world to belong to God, though we are wicked and sinful and completely undeserving of it. God's sovereign grace has elected us from the masses to say, you are mine and you don't even have anything to do with it. It's God's sovereign grace. It's its own choice. It's his own election. God's empowering grace then causes us to live the Christian life, to live in a manner worthy of God's calling. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God working in you to give you the strength and the desire to do what pleases Him. This is God's empowering grace in the life of the believer that now suddenly, in a way that is unexplainable to me, I just desire to do righteousness. I desire to put to death my sin. I desire to know this God that I was once in rebellion towards and against and running away from. Now I want to know Him. Tell me more about him. This is God's empowering grace in the life of a believer, but it doesn't even stop there. God's sustaining grace then causes us to endure through every manner of suffering and, and make it until the end. It is God's 
grace and God's grace alone. It is his sustaining grace that keeps you from losing your faith in God when you get the report from the doctor that you didn't want. That yes, indeed, it is cancer. It's God's sustaining grace that causes you to stay in the faith and not lose heart when you get laid off, when everybody abandons you, when your life falls apart, when you're in the middle of a pandemic and everything's going wrong. It is God's sustaining grace that keeps you anchored to him in the Lord because it is not your grip on him. It is his grip on you. Where would we be without God's grace? Lost dead in their sins, without hope in the world, without God, cut off from the promises of God, undoubtedly. This morning, as you're listening to this, do you know this grace? Have you tasted and sampled of the sweet grace of God? Have you come to know the grace that covers a multitude of sins? Have you come to know this grace that has now given to you a new heart that desires new things? Have you known this grace that makes you a new creation, that causes old things to be passed away? And behold, you are a new creation. Have you come to know this grace? Or is this still just something you hear about, but you don't really know it? I want to tell you, Jesus Christ came to this earth for people like you. Jesus Christ came to this earth for the worst of sinners, to the people who would never turn to him. Jesus Christ came to this world to bear the sin that you and I have committed and continue to commit and will always commit. Jesus Christ came to bear the wrath of God on his shoulders, in his body, on the cross of Calvary, he stood in your place as both God and man, fully God and fully man, on the cross of Calvary, bearing the full measure of the wrath of God towards you because of the sins you committed. And he did this all so that you could stand justified before God Almighty, not wearing a righteous robe of your own, but an alien righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, that the perfect life that he lived, God now counts that to you. He counts Christ's righteousness and perfection to you. And this all happens by you looking to Jesus, turning from your sin, putting all faith, in the perfect work and work of Jesus Christ alone. Repent of your sins today and believe in the gospel. The message of Colossians is that Christ truly is all. That he is all we need. That he is the preeminent one, supreme over all creation. That he is all we need in this life, and he is the one who gives us life, and he is the one who sustain us, sustains us until the next life. He is the one who has canceled our record of debts by nailing it to the cross. He is the one whose message of free grace to undeserving sinners we proclaim. Thus, 
We ought to walk in the manner worthy of him and walk in him as we have received him. We ought to grow in the knowledge of him by setting our minds on and seeking the things that are above. Let us put to death the earthliness within us. The earthliness and the worldliness and the sinfulness that lingers in us yet. And walk in love towards one another. Most of all, let us be faithful to his call. For the one who calls us is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to go through your word, to hear from you. Lord, I just pray for the, the, the hearts and the spirits of, of everyone listening. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in all of our lives that would bear fruit from you, for your glory, Lord. I pray that anything I spoke this morning that was of my own invention, Lord, that it's already forgotten. I pray that your word stands forever, and I pray that we would stand on your word. Reap a harvest for your glory, Lord. Keep us until the end. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, living lives that display that Christ is all. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.